Your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter number 8, Nehemiah chapter number 8. Now I'm starting early today, so I should finish on time instead of going late. No, but I, I will uh, try to get you into uh, 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 you know, the gym to get your coffee and stuff soon. But first, we're going to hear from God's Word this morning. Aren't you excited? Excited to hear what God has to say? Nehemiah chapter number 8. Now, if you take Mr. Millward's age, and I can say this because he's my, he's my brother. If you take Mr. Millward's age and divide it by three, then you've got my age. So I, I think we're, we're doing, we're pretty similar, right? I mean, you know, but uh, I love you, Mr. Millward, and uh, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Miss Chambron, and I hope that you had a good one yesterday. Anyway, take your Bible to Nehemiah chapter number eight. I love the book of Nehemiah. Uh, I have two favorite books in all of Scripture. One is in the New Testament. It's the book of Hebrews. I love the book of Hebrews. I think it's a Bible in itself. It tells all of Scripture's story within uh, 13 chapters. Uh, But the book of Nehemiah is just different by nature. It's different because God used someone that wasn't a scribe, that wasn't a priest. He was just a normal guy to do a great work. And I appreciate the book of Nehemiah. We're going to see in chapter number 8 that... Nehemiah not only built a wall, but he built a culture. He built a culture. Nehemiah chapter number 8, and we're going to read quite a bit, so uh, stay with me and and, uh, follow along here. Verse number 1 says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all people were attentive unto the book of the law." And Ezra the scribe stood upon the pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, and forgive me with these names, okay, or ahead of time, Mattathiah and Shema, Ananiah or Aniah, and uh, Urijah, and Hilkiah, and uh, Messiah, and on his right hand and on his left hand, Padiah and Mishael, and uh, Malchiah, and Hashem, and Hashbadana, uh, and Zechariah, that was the easy one, and uh, Meshalem. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up of their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Uh, here's some more. And uh, Jeshua and Benai and, and Shurabiah and Jamin and Akub and, and Shabbatiah and Hoda, yeah, Hadijah, uh, it, it's a name in there, okay. And Messiah and Kelatah and Azariah and Jezebad and Hanan and Peliah and the Levites, thank goodness we're through that, caused the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Mourn not, nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. 
And we're going to stop there for just a second. I just want to take a second and, and talk to you this morning about building a culture, whether that's in your own life or in your house or wherever you are in a place of authority, building a culture of praise. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, just thank you so much for everything you've done for us, Lord. And, and uh, we just so appreciate stories like this where we can really see almost a glimpse of, of a revival in this passage, a revival of people who uh, really long to have their lives and, and, and their generation go different than that of the generation before them. Uh, God, I pray that you'd uh, bless the hearts of our, our, our church people this morning, uh, bless the, uh, the message this morning. God, give me strength as I preach, and, and, and I, I ask that I would only say what you would have me to, Lord. I, I really only wish to preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into this passage, we're going to stick pretty closely to the passage. I, I had a slide up for you, and, and this is somewhat of, if you put that next slide up, this is about where they were at the time, portions of the east gate, the water gate, uh, uh, when Ezra the scribe took the book of the law and he preached to all the people. Interesting, like I'd already mentioned, that Nehemiah was a man who was just a layman. In fact, uh, uh, later on in the passage in verse number 9, it says that Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, it was it's just a governor. He was a governor of the province during that period. He was the fill-in governor. And what's really interesting about his life was that he wasn't just interested in building something physical, but he was interested in building something spiritual. Now, the majority of you here today outside of myself, I guess all of you outside of myself, Pastor Dewan and Pastor Weigel would be considered, I, I guess we could call the term laymen in the church. Or in other words, people that are doing the work of the ministry while occupying another job. And you are so appreciative for your work in the ministry and you're so appreciative for all that you do in this church. But let me ask you today, are you building a culture of praise in your life and in your home? Not just a, a, a family that goes to church every Sunday and then goes home and lives a different life, but a family that takes that spiritual essence that you have here at church and brings it home with you, and you really have a culture of praise within your own home. Do you have that? Do you have that in your own life? I think the problem in our world today is that families might go to church and they might uh, read the Bible on Sundays and maybe even Wednesdays, but the fact is as soon as they step out of the doors of the church, that praise uh, part of them is relinquished for the rest of the week. They feel as if they've, they've kind of checked off a box and, and can kind of move on from church and from praising the Lord, but God wants more than just Sundays, He wants your every day. He wants your every moment. And so are you building, dads and moms, are you building a culture of praise in your home? I think if you take a look at this passage, it's very easy to see some simple truths and some simple ideas as to how to build that culture of praise within your life, within your homes, in wherever you are in authority. Number one, I want to take a quick look at 
The first point is that God's word is established. If you're going to have a culture of praise in your life and in your home and even wherever you are, God's word must be established. Verse number one says, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate, and they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. I really just want to see letter A, the word was desired by all. The word was desired by all. I think of Job when he says in verse number 12 of the 23rd chapter of the book of Job, it says, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. And pay attention to this phrase. It says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I'm going to read that phrase one more time, and I really want you to think about this, that Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Let me ask you something. What in your life or in your family or in your home have you put in front of God's word? What in your life, your family, your household, have you placed as a priority over God's living word. Let me tell you something, dads and moms, that your kids won't appreciate God's word if you don't. Your kids will not have the desire that these people had to read, and and, and I want you to catch the context. The book of the law of Moses, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible. Just the first five books. And we think about Job, he really didn't have a physical Bible. He relied on the literal words proceeding out of God's mouth. Do you esteem God's word more than fill in the blank? Do you esteem God's word above your job? Do you esteem God's word above the TV? Is God's word more important than social media? Is God's word more important than Fox News? Is God's word more important than, and you can fill in the blank, what you have placed as a priority in your life? See, these people, I can tell you God's word was a priority. Ezra uh, got up and spake the word of God from morning until midday, and they listened attentively. They desired God's word. Do you come here with a, with a passionate desire to hear from the Lord this morning? Or is it just another day that you can mark off the list saying, man, I came to church, I did my uh, uh, spiritual duty for the week and, and walked away with nothing. The word was desired by all. You know, God would change the culture of even our church if we had a passionate longing, every single person in this room, a passionate longing to hear God's word. God would change even the very culture of this church. I think of even the phrasing that Ezra uses. He said, and all the people gathered themselves together as one man. I think about the church, how it's supposed to be the body and the bride of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, okay? You can say that we are one together as a church, as a local body here. Do we as one desire its word? A culture is changed when God's word is desired, but a culture is also changed when his word is heard by all, let her be. I was thinking with regards to that first point, I was thinking about a teacher that I had in college that made the Bible come to life for me. 
it wasn't just words on a page to him. In fact, he would say the following. I, I love this quote. He said this at least 20 times, but every time he said it, I wrote it down. Every time he said it, I wrote it down because I just loved it. He said, the Bible is a living, breathing, and bleeding book. It bleeds the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ from Genesis to Revelation. Does the Bible come alive in your home? If it's not living to you, if it's not breathing to you, if it's not alive in your home, your children will not carry the passion for God's word. But the word was heard by all. The word was heard by all. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, verse number two, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. I love that, that it wasn't just the men there listening to it. It wasn't just the women, but it was all who had understanding. I'm starting to see a real trend um, in society as far as Christianity is concerned where uh, uh, parents will go to church, but they'll leave their kids home. It makes me sick to my stomach. How are your kids supposed to appreciate God's word if you're not even going to take them to church? And then even further, which makes me even more sick, is when the kids come to church and the parents are nowhere to be found. The word was heard by everyone. Everyone that had understanding. Everyone that could hear. Everyone that could grasp what Ezra was saying. They heard it. I think of the psalmist that said in Psalm 119, 18, Open mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we're talking about his law. Again, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, okay, the law, they considered it. Wondrous things out of thy law. And you know what? What's really awesome is that we have the completion of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And man, that is wondrous to see the grace of God. But some of these people in Scripture, the psalmists, were able to say, I want to behold wondrous things of even the first five books that they were given. We have the completion of it and we're still sometimes not even interested. The word was heard by all. Do you have a desire to hear God's word? The culture has changed when the word is heard by all, but the culture has changed when the word is taught with authority. Taught with authority. I want to look at verse number three. It says, And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday. Again, the water gate was that slide that I put up earlier, so you can kind of have a visual. I know it's uh, a little different now, of course, but at least you have some sort of visual in your mind. Before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for the purpose. If you'll take a look at verse number 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. I, I think about how Ezra had authority to teach God's word. Had authority. I was talking to my Bible class this past week. In fact, I think it was uh, Friday. I told them because we came across a section where uh, the Bible book talked about Jesus Christ and how he taught with authority. And it talked about how he, they need to be careful of false teachers. And I was thinking to myself, I said, some of you in this classroom, and I was talking to my 7th through ninth graders, have already been duped by people. 
that have no authority to teach the Word of God, and yet they're teaching you things that are out of context from God's Word. In 7th through ninth grade, I had at least three kids shake their head yes. 7th through ninth grade. And there was more in there that just didn't respond. I want you to be very careful of this, parents. Be careful of this, Christians. Be careful who's teaching you the Word of God. Be very careful. Ezra had authority to stand up and to preach from that pulpit of wood. And he was above all the people. This is why I'm not really in an agreement. And I'm going to be careful with this, but I'm not really in an agreement with having random weekly Bible studies where you just share thoughts and opinions with one another. Because I know how dangerous that can become. I had a teenager in the youth group right when I began. And their parents got involved with one of these weekly opinionated Bible studies. One year later, all of them out of church. As a cause of one of those Bible studies. Be very careful. Be very careful who's teaching you the Word of God. I'm not opposed to Bible studies. But have someone in there that knows what they're talking about. Have someone in there with authority that knows what they're talking about. Be very careful. Parents, when you teach the Word of God, be careful of context. Be careful. Be careful to study it out yourself. The Bible says, Study to show thyself an approved workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Right? Rightly dividing the Word of truth. Right? You should be that approved workman, every single Christian in here. Studying to be approved. The Word was taught with authority. Every time that the Bible is open on this pulpit, you should be here. Every time the Bible is open at some place in this church, it's taught with authority, you should be here. Because that's how, that's how you cultivate a culture of praise. The Word was treated with respect. The Word was treated with respect. You know, I really love this passage. In verse number 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. Pay attention to this. This is key. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. They had a respect for God's word. It was more than just words on a page again. They had respect for it. They knew it was straight from the mouth of God. This isn't just some old book. This is God's word. Is it treated with respect in your homes? Is it treated with respect in your daily lives? When you think about the Word of God, again, it's not just some old book, but it's His Word. You know, I was talking with uh, Mr. Malgenovic a couple weeks back, and this verse came up, and I thought of it. In Psalm 182, uh, 138, I'm sorry, verse number 2 says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou, uh, thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. He's magnified His truth, His Word above everything. And I think about Jesus Christ, the name that is above all names. Jesus Christ and me and Mr. Melchizedek were talking about how every knee is going to bow to that name someday. Guess what? God's magnified His Word above that name. That's a crazy thought. Is God's Word treated with respect in your life? If it's not, a culture of worship and praise will never 
begin in your life. Number two, I see that God's praise is enriched. God's praise is enriched. But before we go to that point, I love what Marvin Brenneman said. He said they responded by lifting their hands in worship and showing a sense of need by saying amen, amen, and thus affirming their submission to the authority of Scripture and by bowing down to the ground with a sense of humility and surrender before God. When I think about this chapter, their response to God's word should be the response in all of our lives. A response of praise. A response of praise that's completely enriched. Verse number 6 says, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Let me tell you, they didn't need some, some crazy lights glowing all over the place. They didn't need that. They didn't need some kind of uh, showmanship to be able to worship the Lord. You know what they needed? The Word of God spoken. That's it. And praise and worship began right there and then. They didn't need any instruments. They didn't need any kind of uh, sound system. If that's what you need to praise the Lord, then something is wrong. Something's utterly and miserably wrong. Because praise should be enriched just by hearing God's living Word. God's praise is enriched. And it's praise concerning God's greatness. I love this phrase. It says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. And again, verse number 6, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. This praise wasn't something that was flesh-filled. This praise wasn't something that was more about me than it was about God. I've noticed that about modern music today in Christianity. All the songs are more about me than it is about God's greatness. One of the biggest songs out there right now, I'm not going to say it by name, but one of the biggest songs out there right now, one of the top Christian songs in the nation is all about myself. Myself. Literally, I... I, I listen through the song, and God's name is barely even mentioned. Barely even mentioned. The problem with our praises is so self-centric that we take our focus off of this great God who's been merciful and great. And if we honestly just looked at God the way that he needs to be looked at and revered God the way that he needs to be revered and feared, then the culture would change. I, I want you to turn in your Bibles to the next chapter over. Nehemiah chapter number 9. We're going to look at verse number 5 and 6. Verse number 5 and 6 of Nehemiah chapter number 9. And we're going to look right in the middle where it says stand up. Right in the middle of the verse number 5. It says stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, and with all their hosts, the earth, and all the things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. If you think about this, when we get to heaven, we'll be singing songs about the Lamb of God. 
about the glorious goodness of that Lamb of God which took away our sins. It won't be about how we feel. It won't be about our emotions. It'll about, be about His holiness. It'll be about His wondrous works that He's done, not us. Get used to that because that's going to be all eternity. All eternity. Yes, there are emotions for us to be able to realize who God is in an in a emotional way. God gave us those, and that's great. But when praise becomes all about our emotions, then the truth is completely wiped out. Please keep in mind, church family, that our emotions sometimes are not truth. The way we feel is not always truthful, and Satan will use that. So please, can we center our focus when we come to praise on God's character? On who he is? What he's done? What hope he's given us? God's praise is enriched. And it was praise concerning God's greatness. I think of Psalm 107. Four times, four times in that psalm it repeats this phrase. Oh, that man would praise the Lord for his goodness. And for his wonderful works to the children of men. If a psalm repeats something four times, it's pretty important. It's pretty important. God's name and character are to be praised above all else. I see participation created continuity. In this same phrase or in the same verse in chapter number 6 of uh, uh, Nehemiah chapter number 8. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This is what continued this worship of God. This participation of the people continued, and they were in unity together. This must have been something really interesting to see, where all these people gathered together, all these people that were the remnant that came back to Jerusalem, all these people in one place, men, women, children, all that could understand, heard God's word, the law, the law. And they gathered together and they say, amen, amen. In the Hebrew, this particular place, amen, amen, just means surely, surely. And again, just like it is in the Greek, we agree with you. We agree with you. Bless the name of the Lord, the great God. And what they did next is, is, is amazing. They bowed their faces to the ground because they knew they were in a state of humility and submission towards God. And they lifted their hands. Participation created continuity. I think of even when the church began, and when you look at Acts chapter number 4, verse number 46 through 47, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. What continued the church? What continued uh, that almost... Uh, Culture of praise back in the first century. What continued that? Well, it was participation by all. There wasn't one person left out or two people left out. They all gathered together. They continued daily and they worshiped God together. You know, there is, I, I don't know, I, I don't know if you grasp, if, if, to me, Pastor, this, this, this happens in my life. I, I stand up here and Sometimes I'll look out and I'll be like, man, I really miss that person today. 
Something is missing when we don't have our, our, our church family here. Something is missing from the continuity of praise. When someone's not here, or another person's not here, and yes, there's, there's sicknesses, and I get that. I understand that. But when it comes right down to it, something's missing when you're not here. You are missed. You are missed. You are missed by, by our staff. You're missed by church family members. You are loved here. Be a part of the praise. Be a part of the worship here. I see practical concession of self. They said amen, amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. When I was a kid, we played a game, uh, police and robbers, or cops and robbers, whatever you wanted to call it, and, and you know when the policeman ca- caught up to the robber, if you were the robber, you were supposed to put your hand up, right? You know, you put your hands up in the air. What does it state? What are you stating by doing this? I surrender. By lifting our hands in praise and worship to God, you're saying, I surrender. I surrender, God. All of me is all of yours. You've got everything. And when they bowed their faces to the ground, they humbly showed that they were uh, submitting themselves to God. But when they raised their hands, they said, I'm surrendering to God. Take your Bible to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. Psalm 95. We're going to look at verse number 6 and 7. Man, this is good stuff out of God's Word this morning. It's good stuff. (laughs) All right, Psalm 95, verse number 6 and 7 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. You'll see very often in Scripture that worship and bow down are found in the same context. Because it's not about us. It was never about us. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Again, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. How many times How many times recently have you just put your hands up and said, God, I surrender to you today? But shouldn't it be a daily occurrence? Where the Apostle Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, I believe it's 15, I die daily, I surrender all daily, I give up daily. It's all about you today, Jesus, daily. Practical concession or giving one up, giving something up of yourself But it's not just something, it's everything. My third point today, I have a quote by A.G. Finley that says, to obey or not to obey the Lord God, this has been and is the crucial question for every human being. To obey or not to obey the Lord God, this has been the crucial and is the crucial question for every human being. I see my third point today. If we're going to build a culture of worship, God's command must be obeyed. Must be obeyed. If you take a look and and you read the rest of the chapter, and it's very interesting kind of what happens. Verse number 14, take a look at it with me. It says, And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. 
and that they should uh, publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch all branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. If you want to find uh, where this is written, you can look it up in Leviticus chapter number 23. So if you want to gain some context there, Leviticus chapter number 23 in the law, uh, on the 15th day of the seventh month, they were to, it was the day or the festival of booths. When you take a look at verse number 16, so the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths, every one upon the roof of his house and in the courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and the street of the gate of Ephraim. And here's just kind of the context here. So the people had literally been away from the Lord and away from the word of God for a period of time. And they had kind of lost all of these uh, uh, commands that they were supposed to be obeying and, and, and almost had, had faded away from the law of the Lord. And so they're finding when the word of God is open and they're finding when the word of God is preached that they're starting to understand some things. They're starting to grasp the law of God. And so what happens when you grasp the law of God and what you're supposed to be doing, all of a sudden you're put in a position where you have to make a choice. A choice of whether to obey or disobey. Today you are put in a position whether to obey what God's word has to say or to disobey. It's your choice. God has given you a free will to do so. But when it comes to the Israelites here in this chapter, we find that they made the choice to go back and hadn't been doing for years and years and years and go back and actually obey the commandment of the Lord. And I can tell you when the commandment of the Lord is it builds a different culture. It builds something different. Something different starts to take place. God's command is obeyed through letter A, practical understanding of Scripture. Take a look at verse number 8 in this chapter. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly distinctly. I love that word. I love how the Bible uses words to kind of give you complete context. They didn't just read, they read distinctly. They made sure that they read every single word and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. In your family and in your home, do you have a practical understanding of Scripture? I can tell you how it happens by reading the Word of God. The more you read the Word of God, the more you understand it. It's a doctrine that we would like to call illumination. The Holy Spirit guides and directs you into all truth, as 1 Corinthians would say. The Holy Spirit takes that time to, to help you to understand truth. But there is another aspect of this. James 1.25, if you'll turn there with me. James 1.25 I want you to be very careful because the Bible talks about being a forgetful hearer. A forgetful hearer. James 1.25 says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer. I have a lot of people that I know that read the Word of God, but it's almost as if it's just something to read another book to kind of get through. And, and honestly, they hear what God has to say, and it goes in one ear or in through the eyes and out the head. But he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. But what if we had an entire household that were, weren't forgetful hearers? 
that we're looking into the perfect law of liberty daily? What if we had an entire church that was looking to God's word daily, understanding his word? Well, God promises you'll be blessed. I don't know blessed with what, but he says you'll be blessed. Maybe the reason we're not seeing blessing is because we're forgetful hearers. We hear what God has to say, but it's like, makes no impact in my life. And so, almost arrogantly, we walk away from it and we disobey what His Word has to tell us. And yes, we may understand Scripture. I know a lot of people that understand Scripture far better than I. And yet, our forgetful hearers and disobedient Christians, through practical understanding of Scripture, but also through recognition of sin, I truly believe when you take a look at verse number 9. Verse number 9 says that Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, uh, I'm sorry, and Ezra the priest, the scribe and the Levites had taught the people, said unto the people, This day is holy, and unto the Lord your God, mourn not, nor weep. And it says, For all the people wept. Do you know why weeping comes? Recognition of fault. When you hear the word of God, weeping comes when you recognize, I'm at fault. I'm at fault here. My life is not lining up with the pages of Scripture. I truly believe this is the reason why they're weeping in this passage. is because they read it after some time period and they realized, we're not even close to lining up with Scripture. We're not even fulfilling the easiest commands. What has happened in our life? God's command is obeyed through recognition of sin. You know, people that are able to recognize sin in their life by the leading of the Holy Spirit oftentimes are able to change. They recognize that my life is not lining up with God's holiness. My life is not lining up with Scripture. And thereby change needs to take place. Building a culture of worship needs needs in some aspects people to recognize sin in their life. Listen, if we just come in here every single Sunday and sin remains, that culture of praise is not going to take place. We need to recognize that sin in our lives. Through practical understanding of Scripture, through recognition of sin, but also through the mercy of God. I... I don't have the passage or the Bible verse in this chapter that says God had mercy, but I think you can see the mercy of God. For his people not to be fulfilling his commands for a time period, and God still loved them and still gave them time and gave them chance after chance after chance. You know, the reason there was a remnant there in Jerusalem, the reason why a Nehemiah was placed there to build walls around the city, to change the culture, was because God had mercy. The reason you might be here today is because God has mercy. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with God. Know that God is merciful and He loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's brilliant mercy. That's perfect grace. That is the mercy of our God. So you want to change the culture in your house. You want to start building a culture of worship. 
you want to start building a culture of praise in your own life, well, my friend, God's word must be established. It must be. God's praise must be enriched in your life. And God's command has to be obeyed. Has to be obeyed. I was um, thinking a couple years back, three or four years back, um, actually, I'm more than that. I sometimes think when, uh, when pastor says a couple of years ago, I think, I don't think it's two years ago that that happened. <laughs> I probably actually was in college. I was, I think, a sophomore in college, which, um, believe it or not, was seven years ago. That's crazy. Or eight years ago. Whoa, oh, my goodness. Oh, my word. I hadn't even met Laura at that point in my life. Uh, I'd, uh, I had been in college for a year and a half, and I could tell you that Things just started to seem dry in my life. I felt kind of dried out like, man, I'm hearing the word of God. I think we had like 17 services a week that we were supposed to attend as far as preaching and things of that nature. Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we had men's uh, meeting on Monday nights. I mean, I feel bad for Mrs. Weigel because she's trying to sign all this over there. But I remember thinking to myself, I just feel dried out. And there was a message similar to the one that you just heard, not out of Nehemiah chapter number 8, but building almost this culture of praise. And there were some aspects that were just missing. I was reading the Word of God like it was some kind of textbook, some kind of thing to get a better grade in my classes. And I can tell you that most Bible college students, they struggle with that. They start to see the Bible as a textbook rather than God's book. But I can tell you these three points, these three points change all of that. And any time that I feel like, man, I just, I feel dry spiritually, I go back to these three points. Is God's word established in my life? Is it still that living, breathing, bleeding, the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ book? Am I enriched in how I am praising the Lord? Is it about the, 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 the notes on the page of, of the music or is it about the words of truth in the music? And I think, am I obeying all of God's commands right now? Is there sin in my life that needs to be taken care of? I go back to those three points. And I can tell you every single time I've been able to walk away and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for having mercy. Because my life was not where it should have been. God, I love you so much. If you want to build a culture of praise, I urge you to follow the guidelines and almost the outline that was followed in Nehemiah chapter number 8. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, I don't know where our church family is today individually. I don't know where their homes are. I I don't know... um, where each and every single person is, but Lord, you know where they're at. I don't know if anybody needed this, but your word, it's promised not to return void. So God, whoever needed it, Lord, I I pray that it's been a help and a blessing. God, I pray if there's any that need your mercy this morning that aren't saved, that, that they'd get that right with you today, that they'd experience a full relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Dear God, I ask that our church would begin to build a culture of praise more than just 
checking off a list of ministries and things that need to get done, but really having a heart and a desire to worship you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to stand.